Hello, everybody. We are Ken and Lisa Henderson. We'd like to welcome you to the Faith Works Podcast, and thank you for tuning in. We are going to be looking into the lives of ordinary people, and we'll be examining how faith in God is working in their lives and how it will work in yours. We are very excited to bring you testimonies, release prophetic words, and examine Scripture, which will cause your faith in Jesus Christ to grow. Thanks again for joining our conversation. Welcome to the Faith Works Podcast. Well, good morning and welcome to our podcast. We're going to be changing subjects today, and we're going to be looking at a topic that has become popularized through the years and has been a popular topic on revival. We want to talk about this because of the recent developments in the move of the Spirit, several words which have been coming forth and have come forth, and then some prophetic news that is making headlines today, and that is the Kansas City Chiefs have won the Super Bowl. Bob Jones, before he died, gave prophecy concerning this. Sean Bowles has talked about it extensively. He mentioned that God would be raising up his Chiefs at the end when the Kansas City Chiefs came and, and won the Super Bowl. And so this hadn't happened in over 50 years or in 50 years, which is like a jubilee, somebody pointed out, which is an amazing thing. And so we saw last weekend that the Kansas City Chiefs did, in fact, win the Super Bowl. But I want to jump into the scripture a little bit because Lisa and I were revivalists for years. We've chased revivals all over the place. We had dealings with different revivals that went on in different locations around the nation, and these were assignments. And so our heart has always been after revival, and we want to talk about revival today. And some of the things that we've witnessed and some of the things that accompany revival. Psalms 86 and 1. You want to read that for us? It says, Lord, you poured out blessings on your land. You restored the fortunes of Israel. You forgave the guilt of your people. Yes, you covered all their sins. You held back your fury. You kept back your blazing anger. Now restore us again, O God of our salvation. Put aside your anger against us once more. Will you be angry with us always? Will you prolong your wrath to all generations? Won't you revive us again so your people can rejoice in you? Show us your unfailing love, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. I like to go back and focus on verse number six. Won't you revive us again so your people can rejoice in you? I know that there were many, many times when we were on the road as evangelists for a number of years. This was a go-to scripture for me, and I preached from this particular passage during, I don't know the number, but it was a bunch of times when I would call this scripture up. I think it is God's heart to revive his people and touch them once more. Charles Spurgeon talks about it, speaking on revival. He says, this is his brethren. If you will pray this prayer, it will be better than my preaching from it. And my only motive in preaching from it is that you may pray it. Oh, that at once, before I have uttered more than a few sentences, we might begin to pray by crying. Yes, groaning deep down in our souls, will you not revive us again, that your people may rejoice in you. That's quite an amazing statement for him to make. This was my desire as well when we would preach from this, was to see the hand of God move. So we want to know what revival is, and so I want us to come kind of look at revival because everybody from Nehemiah to, and Ezra to Bill McCartney and Bill Bright has talked about revival. But what is it? 
scholars have disagreements over it. And so we're going to get into some definitions, and hopefully something will help you to understand what it is we're talking about. You want to tell us about Zondervan's New International Dictionary of the Christian Church and its description of revival? It says that it's a spontaneous spiritual awakening by the Holy Spirit among professing Christians in the churches, which results in deepened religious experience, holy living, evangelism and missions, the founding of educational and and social reform. Other biblical dictionaries of Christianity in America puts it a different way. It says revivalism is the movement that promotes periodic spiritual intensity in the church life, during which the unconverted come to Christ and the converted are shaken out of their spiritual lethargy. I like that one. Yeah, I think that's pretty accurate. Baker's Evangelical Dictionary of Theology describes revivalism within the Christian tradition, which emphasizes the appeal of religion to the emotional and affectional nature of individuals, as well as to their intellectual and rational nature. We may never have a perfect definition of revival, but I think it would be more beneficial for us to focus on some of the major characteristics that we have seen and that are prominent in most revivals throughout history. And so we're going to talk about 10 characteristics that people have seen and witnessed and experienced during revivals. You want to start with the first one that we have listed? Saints are revived. Revival often begins with believers transforming once lethargic lay people into zealous servants of God. So what what you're saying here is that people become excited about living for the Lord and moving in the power of his spirit, living a closer life, and often it's accompanied with great enthusiasm. Is that correct? Yes, and it goes right with the IVP's dictionary, which says that the converted are shaken out of their spiritual lethargy, out of their complacency. Revive to revive means to take that which was dead and bring back to life. So, you know, that we often think of bringing someone to salvation, but it also is to awaken the church, to awaken those who are lethargic or complacent. And I just, think that the first thing is that the church must be revived in order to have revival because a sinner being born again is a new conversion. That's quite different than the saints of God who have grown cold in their walk, grown relaxed, grown in lethargy as you pointed out. Apathy may have set in. Cares of this life, which can sometimes hold us back and and actually cause us to digress and backslide away from God. These things have to be dealt with before we can see the sinner come. We really need to see the saints getting right with God. Can we just uh, take a moment here and just pause? Because any moment that you say the words backslide, you have someone putting the brakes on, you can hear, um, because it just throws somebody into a, a tailspin right there. You know, whether we sit here and argue about whether you can backslide out of grace and eternal security, you can backslide away from God without backsliding out of grace. You can digress out of your relationship. If you're not spending time with him and you're getting cold and you're apathetic and you're lethargic and you're not abiding in his presence and you're not excited anymore about spending time with him, you're not passionate about going to the house of God, you're not passionate about worship, you're not passionate anymore about reading the word, you're not passionate about soul winning and the things that you weren't swore that first love. And doesn't it say in Revelations that we are to return to our first love, return to our first works, return to our first love. And, and that the first thing that's supposed to happen in revival, all that gets reawakened, an awakening of our first love and our passion for God and the things of God again. That's completely accurate. And I, I love your definition. I like it when we break away from the traditional 
scholastic definitions and get into the practical ones. And I think you hit the nail right on the head with what you were just talking about. Saints must be revived. And it doesn't, backsliding doesn't mean that you're going to hell, but it does mean that you are not as close as you once were. And that that's what has to be corrected and is often corrected in revival. It's just a regression. I remember, I can't remember what minister it was, but I can remember this so clearly when I was growing up. I grew up in the church and this minister said, God is always moving. And so if you're not moving with God and you're standing still, then it could be that you're backsliding because he's moving and you need to be moving with God. Mm. And I thought, wow, you know, maybe that's true. Maybe it's not, but um, I, I can see that how he is, you know, he doesn't change. I know that he's never changing. He's always the same, but he doesn't do things the same way. Bishop T.D. Jakes has used the analogy. He said that God is always moving. And because you're trying to keep up with God, it's not long before you feel like a toddler next to your father who is walking and his steps are so much bigger than yours and you're just dangling in the air, so to speak. So it's important that we kind of try and keep up with God and what he's doing and what he wants and stay in the word and stay refreshed in the spirit and in the fellowship and the community of the church. Right. That is the first earmark that I want you to see is revival comes to the saints. And then the byproduct of that is that sinners get saved. During revivals, classic sinners such as prostitutes and drunks join society's beautiful people at the altar and confess their evil ways to God and seek him and his forgiveness. And a lot of times we've seen different things. I, I remember the story of Sam Jones, who was a powerful minister back in the 1800s and how he went into different places. And they did not want him to come to their cities because when they came, when he would come into the cities, many times bar rooms and brothels and such were shut down as a result of the Holy Spirit coming in and really just shaking the whole town. It was part of an awakening, not just revival, but an awakening that was going on to the saint and sinner alike. That's amazing. I would love to see us experience that again, that that kind of awakening, those kind of revivals, as you spoke earlier, that we are revivalists at heart. That's how we started in ministry is evangelist, revivalist, and chasing the move of God, chasing the glory of God, and being a God chaser, and holding revivals, which you don't hear a lot of churches holding revivals anymore. It's more conferences now. I think we've just named it something different, but it's still not as much of a practice anymore. But to see revivals like we've heard about, like some of that we've actually experienced an awakening that that does shut down some of these um, industries because I, of the move of God. I know it's kind of controversial, but some of the one of my favorite revivals of all time has been Brownsville because not only did we hear about it, we, we actually got to go visit that. The evangelist Steve Hill was profound in, in his stance against sin and, and God's hand was uh, touching people every night. And it was just an amazing time and, and millions of people filtered through there. And a lot of people uh, didn't like it. And that's often the case when you, you when you start talking about revival. It's a little bit controversial. But you'll see that there, there are great times when God moves on his people. And I like the term awakening. And I think it's time for America to have an awakening. If we don't have an awakening, see, see folks, this isn't just revival, but it's revival for survival. That's really what we need. And, and Jensen Franklin coined that phrase, we need revival for survival. And I think it's time that we begin to pray as the church and cry out for 
the move of God, not just another prophetic conference, not just another charismatic uh, movement, but actually something that is solid. And there's nothing wrong with those. Don't get me wrong. But at the same time, I want us to get beyond the superficial and get to where it changes people's life. One of my concerns is people are not being changed in all the conferences they go to. They come back and live in the same filth and in the same sin that they went with. And that's kind of concerning. So one of the earmarks of revival is also that sermons actually hit home. They don't have to be super theological. They don't have to be super deep. I remember Steve Hill preaching several different times and he preached on the topic of arrows of the Lord and how God would shoot his arrows and pierce the heart of a man. And it was such a simple message, but it was profound the way that it touched people's hearts. You know, revival sermons kind of shy away from complex theology to focus more on the basic message of sin and salvation, almost staggering how simple it is. Often upping the ante with descriptive pictures of the sufferings of hell. If you remember the the great sermon that was preached, Sinners in the Hand of an Angry God, Jonathan Edwards talked about people being on fabric, that, but they were in the hands of God, and the only thing that kept them safe was not their own good, it was not their own will, it was not their own desire, but it was being in the hands of God and Him having mercy on them. But to be clear, we don't think that God is just angry all the time, and we don't want to come across as though He's some kind of tyrant who's just waiting on you to screw up and beat you over the head with a club or something. Yeah, I think revival is outside of the box and different, and it's full of simple messages, the simple gospel, getting back to the simple gospel, as you said, and it doesn't have to be something profound, and it can be the simple messages of heaven, of hell, the love of God, the goodness of God, the grace of God, that heaven's real, hell's real, that there is eternity, and there's a choice to make, and those those things that the reality of those issues that you present before people, but then backed up by the Spirit of God and a move of His Spirit to back that up. No, no, we're going to get into that as we move down the earmarks of revival to back up the message that's preached and relayed to the people. You know, one of my favorite things that comes out of revival is this music. You remember when we were in Uganda, there was a time when we were gathered in a mud hut, literally, and a group of the people that were there just started clapping their hands and they started singing songs. Well, later they related what the songs meant to them and how they came about. There was a man who had been fasting for a number of years, and they said an angel of the Lord came into him and said, write these songs down. Well, he wrote them down, and as a result, it broke into a 15-year revival. So it was an amazing thing, the music that came out. And whether it's the tag team of the brothers John and Charles Wesley or the collaboration of Dwight L. Moody and his song leader, musicians often are touched in such a way. I, I, I remember in the Brownsville revival, great music that came out of there. We're still singing some of it today, and you know, a lot of the churches have moved on from that, but some of the songs are still extremely powerful. There's still an anointing on them. I think it's such a powerful thing when, when we hear songs like, I Need You More. Uh, that was such a powerful song that spoke to me, and it never runs out of truth. It never becomes irrelevant. I need you more, Lord, more than yesterday, more than words can say. I need you, Lord. I need you. And so that's such a powerful thing when the music of the day is influence. And, and music's such a powerful tool in culture to begin with. But when we hear those songs that were birthed in the fire of revival, 
It's amazing what they do to us and for us. Then one of the amazing earmarks of revival is that churches come together and actually start to work together. When revival hits, workers seize the opportunity without worrying about preserving strict denominational purity. In other words, they'll cross denominational lines and they'll actually start to work together with other churches. And I know that we have situations here in our hometown where we're working with other churches. And we've seen this in the past. And and I think it's just a powerful thing. I think they're seeing a lot of that with the conferences and a lot of the movements that are going on now. They're trying to get the denominational lines to be blurred and people to cross the denominational lines and link arms for, for kingdom business, for kingdom ministry. That it's all about the kingdom and not about growing this church or that church, but growing the kingdom. And when we truly have a heart for revival and just seeing the lost saved, we'll stop worrying about whose pew they're sitting on. And or who's getting the credit. Who's getting the credit, right. Whose pew they're sitting on, whose church the, their tithe is going to. But, you know, is their name written in the Lamb's Book of Life is really what's important. And just helping them get into the kingdom of God and we just link arms and work together for that end goal of building the kingdom. If we can focus on that, when we see that really happening, we'll know revival has hit. One of my favorite places to preach is, is in prison because there are no denominational lines that we have to be aware of. Of, and we just go in and preach the simple gospel and it reaches people and there's no mask and there's nobody who's worried about who's getting credit for this or that. It doesn't really matter. It's just a simple gospel going forward and we're able to work with other denominations and other people without regard to what their theology necessarily is. So it's one of my favorite places to preach. Mine too. Another earmark is people do strange things in the Bible. I like this one. This is our sixth point that we wrote down, but this is possibly one of my my favorite points in this this entire podcast, and that is people do strange things. Revival is messy. And I think that's probably one of the deterrents that a lot of pastors try to keep the lid on revival. They want it, but they don't want it. Right, because evangelical etiquette usually dictates that a believer keeps a lid on his emotions or her emotions. Right. During revival, people are overcome with a sense of closeness of God and loose control. Often they begin weeping or wailing, falling, jerking, screaming hallelujah, or experience an outpouring of the spiritual gifts. They may laugh, they may run, they may do some other bizarre things that people aren't comfortable with or maybe not even familiar with. We've seen people do some some pretty bizarre things in revival. As revivalists, we've been invited to churches and we've had some pretty astounding services and pastors have been like, "That's they've invited us for that reason because we were known for the glory of God falling and for having the power of God move in our services. But then oftentimes when we would get there, the power of God would move and the pastor would be like, well, okay, this is good, but we might need to tone, it, tone down. it down just a bit because, you know, the people will get so excited and, you know, you, you either you want it or you don't want it. It's messy. And I heard one pastor said, I'd rather have wildfire than no fire at all. It can be messy and it, it's going to be emotional. There's going to be some bizarre things, some unexplainable things. I know we mentioned Brownsville, but they had some things. If you go back, you can go back and YouTube a lot of it and watch some of the old footage. You can just sit and see some really bizarre things happening. Um, and we were there for 
for some of it, for a lot of it. And there were some unexplainable things that were happening that you cannot deny, especially when you're in the presence, that, that God was moving. You could feel the power of God in the place and that, that it was sovereign and God was doing it. Steve Hill actually used my Bible one night to preach out of, and I'm still thrilled about it. And I have my Bible and you can't get it from me. And so I thought it was very, very interesting. And people did do some strange things within themselves. And, and of course, there are always abuses in that. Uh, so some, some people saw what was authentic and they tried to mimic it and it didn't work out too well. There, you know, there was a series with Rodney Howard Brown when people uh, were laughing and experiencing the joy of the Lord still does. But at the same time, there are other people that you can kind of really, you can tell the difference if you're in that service and somebody is kind of on their own, so to speak, and when it's the authentic moving of the Spirit. One of the things that, that I wanted to share on this is is there are some unique signs that, that manifest in the physical, and, and we're dealing with a God that is supernatural, and His supernatural is touching our natural, and strange things happen. And, and I shared with the congregation recently about one of our former overseers in the state of Florida in the Church of God, whose name was Larry Timmerman, one of my favorite overseers, and just a great man of God. And he told us about a time when he was in a revival in, I believe it was in Tennessee. His grandmother was there. And in our church, it was often when somebody was seeking the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues, these women would go over around them and begin to pray for them. And it was, brother, you would either get filled or, or, or something because something, something had to give because those praying women were, were moving. They, he said there was one night in particular that he remembered and they were praying for somebody and they began to speak in other tongues. And suddenly the Spirit of the Lord just touched them, backed them up against the wall. And actually the person lifted up against the wall and was actually raised up the wall, kind of elevated in the air a little bit. I hate use the term levitating, but that's kind of what happened. And that force of the Holy Spirit hit him so hard, it picked him up and suspended him for a few minutes in the air while he was being filled with the Holy Spirit. So you see things that are strange. You'll see manifestations, which you can't understand. By the way, if you can explain everything that there is about a God that you're serving. I don't know if that's a good thing or not, because I think that our God can do anything that he wants to. And, you know, as a matter of fact, the Psalm says that he is God and he can do whatever he wants to. I think it's Psalms 103 verse 5. And God does what he pleases. And so when he touches a human body and they fall down or they shake or they quake or they're lifted up or whatever the manifestation might be, I think God can handle those things. And I think that we just kind of sit back and enjoy what God is doing in ourselves and in others. So people do strange things. Another earmark is that believers began to battle sin. Billy Sunday, when he was around, was attacking the demon of rum. And then Charles Finney always went after Christians who smoked. And sexual sins have always been seen as part of the satanic stronghold. Brownsville evangelists, or we already spoke about him, but Steve Hill warned about the dangers of pornography and showing that times have changed. But fundamental battle does not. And so since, you know, that's one of the big earmarks of, of revival is people begin to, to fight sin and fight it openly. And we no longer 
we're just embracing. We're not trying to tell everybody what's wrong with them, but at the same time, we do come out with strong stances against sin. Topics like abortion become very important to us, and we have to take a stance. We are in a battle, and we cannot sit idly by. Another earmark of revival, number eight, is society is influenced. That's a direct result of the previous one you mentioned. Born-again believers have founded schools, universities, and Bible colleges. They fought evils like slavery and child labor and campaigned to elect godly leaders to office, showing that while revival may begin as an individual awakening, it ultimately has an impact on the culture beyond the doors of the church. I think that one of the things that sometimes is overlooked is the power of the church and what they were able to do in starting schools. And a lot of people have forgotten our history and that schools were actually started as a result of the church believing in education. And even some of the major universities like Harvard was started as a theological seminary. And so these things are very important. And so when you see society being influenced, you see that colleges are being born, universities are being born out of these these types of movements. It's a big deal. And I think that we need to realize that God God wants us to be influential in society. He wants us to influence it instead of being influenced by it. Yes. The ninth thing is missions and evangelism flourish. Revivals transformed William Booth, who went on to start the Salvation Army, which is now one of the largest Christian organizations in the world. And likewise, revivals sparked many of the other big movements of the world, and evangelism, parachurch organizations, and Christian denominations have all come out of revivals. Whenever you see revivals, you're always going to see missions become very important and evangelism flourish. And let me just define that a little bit. Missions are what we do when we go into a place where the gospel has had limited exposure, and we go there with the intent of growing that area up. Evangelism is actually what we do when we take it to that area that has never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what a true evangelist does. He takes the gospel and takes it to the world and to a place to people who have never heard the gospel. We confuse terms a little bit in the church. We we as revivalists were somebody that would go out and re- run revivals. Evangelism is taking the gospel to those who don't have it and missions, when we're doing missions, we're on a specific mission for a specific purpose to see the gospel grow in an area. So this is one of the earmarks, and the tenth one is controversy causes clashes. <laughs> Brownsville isn't the first revival to stir up arguments. And when Christians look back with affection at the First Great Awakening, which had a powerful effect on pre-revolutionary America, but at the time, Minister Charles Chauncey ascribed the whole affair to a mental illness. <laughs> isn't it amazing that what we now call the Great Awakening, they called mental illness at one point in time. So revival has always been a divisive force And I'm sure that in the future it will divide us once again. But what we need more than anything else is we need the power and the spirit to move in our churches once again to revive us as Christians, to renew us, to shake us out of our lethargy so that we might be prepared to give ourselves to the gospel and the cause of Christ before Jesus takes us out of this world. Amen. Yes, and every every revival in history started with prayer. And it started with 
a deep-seated hunger from usually with just a few people, maybe just one person that went to a few people that began to cry out to God seeking revival. But it has to start individually. So you can start right where you are in your car this morning at home if you're listening, washing dishes or you know, in your prayer closet, wherever you are, and begin to seek God for personal revival. And then ask God to help you spread that in your church or your prayer group or whatever it is, wherever you have community, wherever you have community at, that revival begin to spread, that it spread across this nation and across this globe, that we believe that the prophetic words that, that have been springing forward, that we would see a great awakening in the ne- this next decade, that we would see revival, that the apostolic chiefs would rise up, yes. that we see that. But I don't want to see it from the sidelines. I don't know about you. I don't want it to be... From from a spectator angle. I want to experience it. I want to be right in the middle of revival. But for that to happen, we got to pray that prayer that we started in the very beginning. Will you not revive us again? Will you not revive me? So you've got to make that personal and we've got to just start on a personal level. God, revive me. Make it intimate. Make it personal. Then I, I think that if you have a husband or a wife that you would get together with them because there's something about the power of agreement Yes. and the prayer of agreeing in prayer. I really think think that it's time for husbands and wives to come together and begin to pray together and begin to seek God together. I I think that you're correct when you said that most revivals had started with prayer, but I have also heard that it has started among the youth. Yes. And when youth come together and they say, you know what, we're sick of the world, we're sick of everything that it has to offer and all the trappings that are out there and they begin to call on God. God does something spectacular when his people, if my people who are called by my name will just humble themselves and pray. And seek my faith and turn from their wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven. This is is what he's promised. And then I will heal their land. We need revival so that we can have healing in the land. We need revival so that we can have life again. We need God's guidance. And and especially if you've been watching the things that are going on in Washington lately, we need to pray for our leaders. They need revival. What we really need is for God to enter. You know what? Normally I like to ask my wife to prophesy at this time, but I just want to throw my hat in the ring with Bob Jones and the like and say that I believe that revival is coming. I believe that the outpouring of the Spirit is coming. And I believe that it's time for the church to stand up. And I believe that the church is stronger than she thinks she is. I think we have more influence than we know that we have. And I believe that it's time that if we will stand up and and begin to call in the name of Jesus and begin to prophesy and begin to take the gospel wherever we go on a day-to-day basis. I believe that revival is coming, that it will change and rock this world. And I believe right now that there are people who understand what we're talking about. You're listening. You're saying, yes, this is what I want. This is what I need in my life, not only for myself, but for my kids and my grandkids and for future generations. This is exactly what we've been looking for. This is exactly what we've been waiting on. And And God has appointed the timing when the Chiefs win the Super Bowl. I will raise up my Chiefs. And when I raise up my Chiefs in the apostolic movement, when I raise them up, I am going to send revival. That is what Bob Jones prophesied. And it is what I believe. And I throw my hat in the ring with them and say, I put my faith with your faith, believing that this is about to transpire and change our culture. Amen. Amen. 
Thank you for listening to the Faith Works Podcast. If you like what you heard today, please be sure to visit us at kenandlisahenderson.com for books, blogs, movies, and spiritual growth. You can also follow us on Facebook or Instagram at Lisa Henderson, and that's Lisa L-E-S-A, and at Ken Henderson. See you next week.